Welcome to the She's All That video podcast, inspiring, entertaining conversations with women doing awesome shit, making change, and living life their way. Conversations that'll leave you thinking, damn, I'm glad I heard that. She's all that. Today, Vicki Gould is a 10-time best-selling author, publisher, and the self-styled word lady, helping other entrepreneurs write their books, share their expertise, and grow their business. Less than a decade ago, Vicky was in a dark place of debility from the ravages of Lyme disease and wondering if going on was even an option. In our interview, Vicky tells me what got her there, how she brought herself back, and how and why she's built her business, Morning Oak Publishing, that is turning out bestsellers, legacy builders, and changing lives. She's all that. Today, I am so fortunate to have with me Vicky Gold. She has come on to talk to us today about her business as a marketing and book coach. Her publish, She's a publisher. She has her own publishing company, the Morning Oak Publishing. She's a best-selling author 10 times over. And she is actually now nominated for Forbes magazine, Forbes Next 1000 for this coming year. I'm so excited to have you here to talk with me today. Vicki, welcome. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm so excited to, to chat with you today. Well, Vicky is more than she's she's got a fascinating story. When I ran into Vicky on social media a couple of weeks ago, I saw her and as with most of my guests, I get a glimpse and I'm intrigued. It's like I got to know more about this woman. And as I started digging, it was I was fascinated by your journey. So Vicky, I'm going to turn it right over to you. We will get into the, your book and what you're doing in your business and all that stuff, but your backstory, your journey. Yeah. Um you'd said my story growing up. I saw that post just recently. Tell me a little uh, bit about that. You want to know the story growing up. All right. So I, my parents immigrated um, here in the late 1960s. And so I grew up with a very um, stereotypical Asian household, Asian mom who, you know, you do it like this, you do it perfect. You bring home the A, you do everything with excellence and you work really hard. And I think that that actually led me to being, a, and I say a candidate, but, you know, a candidate for chronic Lyme disease that took over my life later. So, you know, through life, you know, she, she was always like, you know, you have to be the best. You got to work really hard. You got to just push through stuff. And I would watch her carry things that were heavier than she should be carrying, dig stuff out in the backyard, like really backbreaking stuff she would do. And I mirrored that as I grew up. Um, you know, when I went to school, went to college, she told me I couldn't go to art school. That's what I really wanted to do. So but I became she, an actuary, you know, in Asian culture, you either you're a doctor or you marry a doctor. That's the deal, right? Corporate um, executive, something like that, maybe a lawyer. And that's what you're expected. So I ended up getting a math degree, which she also didn't like, <laughs> but Hey, whatever. Um, but like I said, some of those things that she taught me, I, I believe made me a perfect candidate in the storm of coming down with chronic Lyme disease because I pushed and I pushed and I ignored and I, you know, just was like, this is how life is. You need to work really hard, um, ignore those things and just keep trying to be the best. And I think that created um, my, uh, I'm going to say like my ignorance around health, around um, pushing yourself around stress around all those. I didn't really think that it had a huge bearing. I just thought this was life. I watched my parents be stressed their whole entire life, you know? So, so, yeah. So for anyone who might not know what Lyme disease is, because in a lot of areas in North America, Canada, I'm in Canada, you're in the States, 
there are still areas where doctors or the medical association actually officially does not recognize the existence of Lyme disease. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because um, Lyme disease comes from any kind of biting insect, a lot of ticks, which is what it's best known through like getting bitten by a tick. Ticks will take rides on birds, on deer, on mice, on anything. And we know that birds migrate south. They go back up north. So it's to say that it doesn't exist is just a little bit ridiculous when you think about it. It's not like a tick goes, oh, here's the state line or here's the county line. Let me not go past it. This is not how it works. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know much about Lyme disease, it's, um, you know, I was misdiagnosed with lupus first. Many of my friends were misdiagnosed with MS. So it's a kind of a conglomerate of things. And that's why it's so hard to diagnose because you go in there and you've got this and this and this and this, and they're just trying to knock out what it's not to try to tell you what it is. And it's misdiagnosed into like a hundred of different things. So it's like having MS, ALS, dementia, lupus, arthritis, fibromyalgia, um, perimenopause, um, cognitive disorder, all of those things all rolled into one. I basically had almost all of those diagnoses at one time and they were just like, okay, you got this. Great. Let me just add that to the list. So you're parenting three children. You've got a professional career, actuarial math, and then you'd gone into stockbroking and different Mm -hmm. uh, math related professional fields. And you had told me that this came on slow enough. It was a bit like the frog in the boiling water story. Yeah. yeah. How were you coping? Um, you know, well, that's an interesting, interesting question. How was I coping? I was a, a, a high, highly stressed, high strung, kind of um, irritated person. <laughs> I mean, I was dealing with a lot of pain. Um, I was stressed out because of the job. You know, I, at that time, um, right before my diagnosis for Lyme, I was a mortgage exec. So I had a certain territory I was driving around and I was basically selling money to banks um, for their mortgage departments. And I would drive two or three hours to go meet with a a few banks. And then I drive three or four hours back. And then I take the kids to soccer or I take them to um, children's church or I take them to, you know, whatever they had going on and then also have to make dinner and then do the laundry like normal mom stuff, right? But I just thought, you know what? This is how it is as a mom with three kids. I just, you know, my other friends would say, yeah, I'm stressed too. I've got a headache too. Yeah, I got aches and pains too, you know, whatever. And so I just constantly kept blowing it off going, you know what? You just need to suck it up. You just need to be a better person. You just need to um, get your energy up and you just need to, and I just talked myself into, you're fine. You're, you're just stressed out as a normal mom of three. And that's just life. This is the way life is. I think, unfortunately, too many women believe that growing older, that's just how it is, right? You're supposed to get aches and pains. Your memory starts to go. You're, you have a hard time with X, Y, Z. Um, you gain weight and it's like, that's just life. That's how it is. Yes. Yeah. We don't think of it. Age is not unwellness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You kind of have to be, but you, at that time you didn't have the heads up for that. Uh, so at what point did you just hit the wall? Because I remember reading you were bedridden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was spending 16 to 18 hours in bed. So um, they finally had diagnosed me with the chronic Lyme disease and things were just getting worse and they were trying different things. I was on antibiotics probably for, I don't remember, it was seven, nine months, something like that. But you know, antibiotics really basically take you to the brink of death and try to bring you back. Um, and it killed all my guts, everything inside me. And it was really bad to be on that. I, I think it took me longer to recover from the, the you know, killing off your guts and all the flora inside your body 
um, than some of the other things. Like those symptoms may have been worse. Who knows? Um, but it was after a few years of being like this that here I am. I used to be that mom, the super mom, right? Everybody used to call me superwoman. And I was proud to have that title. I was the woman who had the corporate job, who, you know, dropped off and picked up the kids at charter school that also taught uh, children's church and Sunday school and worked in the nursery and painted. And like, I did everything. And anytime a friend wanted help, I would drop whatever I was doing and I would go help them. They used to always say, you know, just ask Vicki, she'll do it. And that's who I was. And I was so proud of it. And then I had all of that stripped away. I'm laying in bed. My brain isn't functioning while I'm in a lot of pain. And I'm thinking, you know, if I am not intelligent, I am nobody, right? You know, Asian household where I grew up with intelligence is a highly coveted thing. And as it felt like my brain was slipping away, I couldn't remember things. I would like midway through a conversation, I would be like, I don't even know what we're talking about. It was great for my husband because we'd be having this fight, right? And I'm just like going at it and I'm really angry with him and he's, you know, fighting back. And I'm just like, I have no idea what we're talking about anymore. All so, I know is that I have this feeling of, I am so mad at you right now. And I don't know what it is. You are not off the hook, but I have no clue what we, what we've been talking about for the last 10 minutes. So guaranteed he wins all the arguments, but. And, and then he was like, yay, I'm off the hook. I'm like, you're not off the hook. Cause I know somewhere inside me, you did something and I'm mad. I just can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is. Um, and I still have some issues and I'm glad that, you know, we have things these days that we can voice memo. We have, you know, all those things where we can record. I can record my clients' calls and things like that. I still have issues with word aphasia. Sometimes I don't come up with the right words, um, but it, I've, I've learned to adapt to those things. But at the time, I thought if I am not intelligent, I am nothing. I am nobody. I'm worthless. I can't, you know, contribute to society. There's nothing left for me. There's no reason for me to be here. I can't even teach my children what I want them to know. I remember calling my sister, having a conversation and saying, if Lyme disease takes me, you have to promise me to teach my children all the things that I wished I could have taught them because I'm non-functional. I can't do this. You need to promise me to teach them and tell them who I was and what I wanted for them and what kind of person I was because they don't see who I am right now. They just see somebody laying in bed. And I was the mom who was always volunteering at school. I never missed a field trip or anything like that. My daughter, um, she's 24 now. I didn't miss any of her stuff. My 20 year old, I missed, it was like half and half. And my littlest one who is 17 now, I remember at the time he would come up to me and be like, mommy, can you go to my school party? And I'm like, baby, I'm really sorry. I'm just not up to it. He'd come crawl in my bed and I'd hug him and we'd watch cartoons or something. But, you know, finally he asked a number of years and I finally went to this one Christmas party. I remember because so I just could not keep telling him no. I just like the, the look in his, his eyes and it would just make me cry. And so I finally muddled up some energy and how it worked was, you know, I would have to save up energy for the week and I'd go for a couple hours and then be out of commission for the next two or three weeks, even a month. And so I muddled up all that I could to drive myself to his holiday party. And then they assigned me, I remember they assigned me to make Christmas claws hats, like the, the face for Santa, right? And you're supposed to, um, put the cotton balls on his face and glitter and, you know, all of this stuff. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't even. And then the noise was really hard on me and I'm trying to concentrate. And I'm just like, Vicky, get it together. Vicky, get it together. Vicky, get it together. And it took all that I could to muddle through that. I'm sure nobody thought anything differently because they didn't know me, right? They didn't know that this was not high functioning Vicky. And I still looked like I was helping the kids. But afterwards I was like, 
I, I don't even know what happened. And I remember like friends, we would carpool to church and I would go pick up their kids and all the whole entire time. I'm just like, cause I'm so tired and I'm so much in pain and I can't concentrate. And I'm like, God, please don't let me kill these kids. Please don't let me kill these kids. Please don't let me kill these kids. Let me get there on time. Let me get there safely. Let me get there on time. Please don't let me kill these kids. Mm-hmm. And that's how I would drive down the road. And I'd be like, okay, concentrate Vicky. And I just constantly be talking to myself because I just, I couldn't do it. So you, this long journey into yeah. away from who you were away from who you knew you were and identity too, as you said, the whole thing of like part of your identity is wrapped up in, in, in your case, in my case is, is your capacity, your cognitive mm-hmm. capacity. And that kind of puts me in mind of a little bit of what's going on this year for a lot of people. We've lost a lot. We've lost our, uh, in many cases, jobs, we've lost opportunities, yeah. contracts, we've, and in, for so many people, that's part of who we are. And yeah. the resiliency with which you, you went through that journey, but also at the bottom of it all, and that mm-hmm. was a very dark place. Mm-hmm. You turn that around. And that's something in 2021, we're all going to want to have some tips and pointers on how, to, you know, all right, how we come back from this? What was that journey? What was the turning point from yeah. that bottom up? I, I used to spend nights, I told you, you know, on the bathroom floor crying um, because I didn't want my husband to hear me and I didn't want the kids to see me crying all the time. I wanted to be strong for them. But there were so many nights that I was like, okay, Vicki, it's over. It's done. Just take your own life. It's, it's, it's not worth it. You can't do anything. You, you can't teach the kids. Um, you're watching them grow up by the side of your bed. What kind of life is this? But, you know, the thing that really, I just kept thinking, but who's going to find me? Is it going to be my kids? And what is that going to do to them? Mm -hmm. And so I just couldn't do it. And I realized that at that time, you know what, you have to, you have to not just settle for existing. You need to fight for your life to get that life, like not just fight for your life, like physically, but just fight for your life, right? You have to make that decision. And I think that was the turning point where I was like, you know what, we're not gonna, this is not on the table anymore. This idea of not being here, not being around for your kids, this this idea is not on the table anymore. You need to figure out how to get better, how to make it better, or how to do these things. And, and your doctors that, weren't really helping you with that. You had said that it, no. your doctor kind of got to the point where he's like, well, that's it. Just, like you, you got to accept this, suck it up, you know? And I, I ended up, I did eventually switch doctors, <laughs> um, but I learned not to tell him everything that I was trying or thought or, you know, wanted or wished or whatever. I lowered my expectations of what the doctors could do for me. So in the meantime, you know, I'm, I'm studying alternative modalities and herbs and things like that. And I became a master herbalist in the process. Um, cause yeah, I thought that's not hey, just like, Oh, I became a master. You, you actually went and studied and you yeah, were, yeah, long yeah. years. I, yeah. You on LinkedIn, long years. I thought, you know, you might as well make something of this. So let's just go do something with it. And I honestly thought at that time that I was supposed to go and cure Lyme disease or that I was supposed to help, you know, eradicate chronic illness all over the world. Like I thought this was what my journey was about, but that wasn't what it was about. And how, what was that point? It was just like, yeah, it's not being the the woman who cures Lyme disease or finds the, the method for people to live their life better with it. Yeah. My journey's over here. What was that that 
kind of pushed you that um, way? I, I really think that as I, you know, people started asking me, well, how are you getting clients? How are you um, attracting people? And I'm like, I'm just sharing my story. I don't know what, like, I don't know. I'm just, it's now, one of those. Was that, was that clients for your, your herbal, your herbal yeah, cures? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was one of those unconscious competencies, right? I'm just a yacker. I love to talk. I can be a little extra, you know? And so uh, I, I was just out there doing my thing. I was just being me and I was sharing what had happened and being truthful about those things. And I think people find it refreshing when you don't sugarcoat things, you don't gloss over stuff that you're really honest with them. And they're like, wow, you really do get me. You really do understand. Um, and I'd always kind of had that even before Lyme disease, right? It wasn't like that created something in me. It was something, like I said, an unconscious competency that I had. Um, and then I moved on to being a storytelling marketing coach. And, you know, from there, one of my friends, I kept telling him, I don't know why people keep asking me to help them with their books. It's just not the thing that I do. And he's like, why not? It's in the same wheelhouse. You're storytelling inside the book. You're marketing their business. It's a marketing tool. What do you mean? And I'm like, oh, okay. And that's when for me, like the light bulb went off and I went, oh, you know what? My journey was meant so that I could help other people to share their stories too. Like I've been sharing mine, because when we do that, like as human beings, that's what we do, right? We share stories with each other. When you sit down to coffee with a girlfriend and you tell a story, she tells a story, you tell, that's how you're communicating. It's not like, Hey, you want to know the three steps to making the best cup of coffee? Like you, you don't do that. You just talk about your life and what's going on and the stories within it. And, you know, if we don't pass down these stories, they get lost. They're nowhere to be found. Right. It's, it's like, you know, those who um, do not learn from history are bound to repeat it. Yes. And there are so many things that if we would just share and not hide out in the corner, so many people could be helped. And regardless if your story is a similar story to somebody else's story, your personality is not the same. And people resonate with different people, right? Even like as a book coach, some people just don't pick me because they don't like me and that's okay. Yeah. Right. And same with like, I've get, gotten on calls with people and they're like, yeah, you know, I talked to X, Y, Z or, you know, this person there. And I just didn't really feel it as much as I feel like I resonate with you. I like your personality. We mesh. Um, I feel like I can learn from you and things like that. Like, even though our stories sometimes may be similar and it's funny because there's four, four people um, in one of my programs right now, and they're all writing very similar books, but they all have their own take on it right? And that's what we give in these stories that we have. Just I out of curiosity, yeah. I, 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 that makes me curious. What is the, the overarching theme that has this commonality with the four? Can you say? Yeah, you know what? These are all women who are rising up from different situations. Two of them have to happen to be coming out of ugly divorces. And during that time, they have found themselves and found the power to speak their mind, to live more authentically, to um, not be squelched by other people's expectations or people telling them how they need to be. And all of them have this desire to share their story so that other women don't feel like they're, they're here living for somebody else that actually the best way to help other people, even, you know, your kids, your family, your spouse, you know, all, is to actually be you. And I know that sounds so cliche, but all of these women have, like I said, different stories that 
help them get to where they are, where they're sharing, you know, those steps, the journey, what has happened to them so that other people won't get stuck in that situation that they'll feel like, oh, you know what? I have the tools to not have to be held down, swashed, quieted, shushed. And that's in line with a quote I had seen from something you recently posted that um, instead of hiding your accomplishments and achievements, you know, in the fear that maybe people will resent you, you're actually doing a disservice. And yeah. it's the sharing of your achievements and accomplishments. It's the gift because you're actually inspiring other people to say, this is, yeah. you can do it. Yeah, it, it's so true. And it's inside the books that I help people write as well. We so often feel like we have to like share more and more information and more information and more information. And what people really want is they just want to know that there's the possibility for them to be different or have a different life, that that opportunity is not reserved for other people, that they are part of the group of people who can have whatever they want and be different, that they don't have to stay in that situation. And then the third part is the certainty. By reading your story, they know at least one person has gone through this yeah. and they have proven to me that it can be done. It's kind of like, you know, in the Olympics, right? But they're like, oh, you can't, and I, I'm not a sports person, Four minute but I, mile. I remember Roger one time, Bannister. Like, right. You can't, you can't um, run a mile in, and I don't remember what the four, amount of time, four, four, four minutes. minutes. Okay. I'm glad you know, it's impossible. You can't do it. You can't do it. And then as soon as one person does it, other people now do it because it's that idea of, oh, wow, wait, it's possible. I have the opportunity to do this and look, somebody's done it. So it's, it's certain that it can be done. And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, there are the people that, yes, we have, there are some people who are called to be first. I get that. But for the most part, we just need to know that it's out there for us. Which really speaks to the amazing constraining or expansive qualities of our imagination and what we believe to be true or not true. Yeah. Yeah. So are most of the people that, that come to you to, and that you help, to write their book. Are they mostly entrepreneurs? Who are these people that you're helping? Yeah, for the vast majority, there's entrepreneurs. I, that, I helped one lady with a fiction book. I helped one mom and daughter duo with a fiction book for tweens. That was a really fun, fun project because it was different. Um, so nine years old is my youngest client. Um, she was really a delight. She's just, she's so adorable. Anyways, um, so those are kind of the outliers, but most part it's like any kind of coach like uh, a love coach, a leadership coach, um, corporate leaders, things like that. They have some sort of business that's tied to the book so that they are using their story to show what they learned. Because within that story, people want to buy what it is you learned in the story. Like, sure, you might have a process. It's a five-step process. That's really great. But it's the story that you attach to it that makes it compelling for somebody to say, ooh, I want that too. And you know how to do it. So show me how. So all of them have some sort of story they want to share, process that they want to help people with, and their coaches in general, coaches, speakers, change makers, you know, entrepreneurs, things like that. Yeah. So um, why exactly? I mean, I, I understand what you're saying there, but why, why exactly should an entrepreneur write a book? Oh, why should you write a book? Okay. Let's talk about why you shouldn't write a book. Oh, okay. <laughs> why, sh why shouldn't an entrepreneur you write a book? You shouldn't write a book just because all your friends and family are going, oh, you should write a book. You have a great story. Like you should write a book because it's something that you know is a calling, that's a heart tug, that is something you know you need to do. Not everybody gets this, this calling, this purpose, this mission in their life, right? And 
so often I call, I talk about the calling to write a book, a gift. So often we downplay our gift, we shove it aside, you know, all of those things that we do when we talk about skills, right? Gifts and skills, but it's also a gift to be called to write a book, to share your story, because you know, most people know in their hearts that the story that they went through, they're supposed to be out there sharing it, that people need to hear it. And those people are the ones who come to me. Now, they I have a question. Also, yeah. I have a question. Mm-hmm. You're also a, a quote that well, was curious for me was your memoir is your enemy. Is that what you're uh, talking about when you say when everybody's saying you didn't write a book, you should write a book? Is that what you're no, referring not to? Not necessarily. What um, did you mean by that? Sorry to segue into that, but that was yeah. Rather intriguing. The, the the memoir is your enemy if you're an entrepreneur uh, because so many people have come to me and said, I've got this great story. I need, I need to share it. Let me just, and then what happens? It's this whole timeline of I was born and then this happened. Then I went to school and then this happened and then that happened, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? Nobody cares. Nobody cares about you. Nobody cares about that story. They care about stories that are about you that are really about them. And so that's how we write the stories inside the book. Um, you know, people care about memoirs when generally you're a famous person. You know, I think Matthew McConaughey came out with his yes. memoir recently. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, a lot of people want to read it because they're curious about him and stuff. But nobody's curious about us. <laughs> We're not like that. So when I talk about the memoir being the enemy, you know, people who are entrepreneurs get these ideas. I'm just going to write my memoir. And that's they feel like that's going to solve this problem of the book they're supposed to write. But it's really not the book you need to write. If you're an entrepreneur, you really need to decide, are you an author author? That's where like a memoir fiction, stuff like that would fall into where your business is. Let me just sell a whole bunch of books and keep selling books every month. And that's how I make my money is just purely through book sales. If you're an author entrepreneur, you're an, uh, you're an entrepreneur who has a book, right? You're an entrepreneur first, your business is being that entrepreneur, selling whatever it is, whatever coaching programs, products, whatever it is that you're doing. You happen to also have a book that helps you to grow that reach in order to like, I talk about the book is like, it's little minions sent all around the world to talk to people that you don't normally get to talk to. Because you that get- book is going deep on what it is that you can help people with. Exactly. So you want that book to be an experience, one where people feel like, oh, this person, this author is sitting right next to me, holding my hand, going through the this process with me sharing their life and their story and how that applies to me. And that's the type of book that entrepreneurs need to write. And they need to write it in a way where the next step after that book is having that person get into the programs and services. The the job of the book inside is to create the experience, to create the connection, but also you you want to have in there, like I said, the possibility, the opportunity, the certainty, so that the person starts raising their hand. They're like, oh my gosh, I need to work with you. Yes, I need to find out more. The worst thing that an author can do, because sometimes, oh, I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to be like spammy. I don't want people to feel like I'm just all about my programs and services because so many people come to me are very heart-centered, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you do it right, that's not, that's not what happens. The worst thing that you could do for your business in writing a book is to prepare somebody for the next step that they have to go find with somebody else because they don't realize that you can give it. Now you've spent all your time and energy, like pouring into basically somebody else's business, giving them that lead instead. Yeah. So Uh, can I backtrack a bit? Um, The the, the term heart-centered business is something that, you know, like if, if you're in the online business world, you see it almost on the daily for somebody who's not familiar with that, what is heart center business and how does that compare with another business? <laughs> you know, what's funny, now that you asked me that, I'm like, you know, is there really a business out there that's not heart centered? Well, I think it depends on the person. Bitcoin. Why did you get in business? Oh, <laughs> why are you in business? What does that business do? 
right? So some people are very much just profits, 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 and you can totally tell by how they market, what they do, you know, and all that stuff. With my people, when I talk about heart-centered, it just feels like, you know, they're very servant-led. They're, um, they, they very often say to me, you know what, if this book can help just one person, it makes it worth it. Okay. Um, so they're very others focused okay. versus me focused. Um, gotcha. But then what happens as they're writing the book is they become a little more me focused in the fears versus others focused because sometimes they're like, oh my gosh, but what if my story is enough? Or, or what if somebody doesn't like this? Or maybe I need to change this paragraph. Um, Dan Brown, who wrote The Da Vinci Code, he said, novels are never finished. They're just abandoned. You can say things in a multiple, like a plethora of different ways. And you can go back and edit and re-edit and change and add and subtract from your book until you die. It will never be done because we could always change something. We could always say something in another way. Yeah. One day you might like it like this. The next day you wake up, you like it like that. The next day you wake up, you want to change it back. Like you could, it doesn't matter, right? So I found it really interesting. He's like, you know, novels are never finished. They're just abandoned. At some time, you just have to say that you're done. And sometimes the fears cause us to not be done, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what does that look like when you're working with your clients? Yeah, it comes, it, it, it comes to like, oh, I have one chapter left, but it, you know, I, I wrote the beginning of the book in two weekends, right? I got one chapter left and now it's taking me three months to write the last chapter. Now, what is, is, this, is that a mental block or, and I guess that's where you get in and help them. I think it's a everybody block in some, in some respects, because, um, it, you know, when you finish something, regardless if it's a book, an art piece, a program, a product, once you finish it, you got to put it out there. And when you put out that final product, now you're opening yourself up to judgment, sales. Is it going to work? All of that stuff comes bubbling up. And so sometimes they go, hmm, maybe I should just not finish. Cause if I never finish, I don't have to deal with that. I'm safe. So yeah. I say my stay in my safe little zone of production rather than actually publishing and getting it out there. Is that a yeah. big part of what you do? I'm assuming that you also kind of lay out a foundation for them and yeah, we like lay out their step process. By step. Mm -hmm, absolutely. We, we have a definite process. I have a 5S system. Um, we get the book done in eight weeks. We launch it to bestseller in the next month. I have a step-by-step -step for the marketing process to get to bestseller. It's a guaranteed process. We've gone through it many, many times. It works. You just need to follow the steps, right? Um, of course, I'm hugely curious about that. I have a process to get you to bestseller. Yeah. But because I'm a mathematician. Can, can, yes. Can you give us a hint about that? Or do people have to come and join your group and take your program to find out? Yeah, how, I can give you, you a hint that. about that. Um, you need to create a buzz like Hollywood. That's what I call it. And one of the mistakes that people make is that they think, okay, let me finish the book and then I'll talk about the book. Another fear, right? It's, I don't want to talk about it because what if it's not good? Or what if I don't finish? And then everybody knows that, again, nobody cares about us that much. If it takes you 10 years to write your book, some people are just like, oh, it just took you 10 years. You know, they're not on the edge of their seat unless you create that for them. And you do, you want to create that edge of the seat. Oh my gosh, this is coming out. Um, it's like, you know, Star Wars. I don't know if you're into Star Wars or, or action movies or things like that. I love Wonder Woman. I was so excited. Yes, that was Woman. amazing. It was supposed to come out June the 5th, right? I remember that because it was my daughter's birthday. We're all excited, of course. Then we were on lockdown. No movies were coming out. We couldn't go to the theater. I was so disappointed, but guess what they did? They told us. When it was coming out, they told us what it was about. They told us, you know, all this, all these things and we got excited. And that's what I call creating a buzz like Hollywood. 
you need to create that buzz so that when your book hits Amazon, hits Barnes and Noble, hits whatever, that you've got a whole bunch of people just like the movie theaters at the box office. You got a whole bunch of people rushing out to get it because they're like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this. It's going to be so wonderful and blah, blah, blah. So you do both. You're not just, as, as I mentioned at the very beginning, you are not just a book coach. You're also the marketing coach. So you take mm-hmm. them through the whole journey of let's get you started. Here's the process. Get that last chapter written, publish yeah. the damn thing and create yep. while you're doing that, create the buzz so that it yep. hits with a bang. Yeah, exactly. We That's do it amazing. All. Soup to nuts. We do it all. And yep. you can get published through my publishing house. Yep. Yes, which let's repeat, Vicky's publishing house is the morning of publishing, but I'm sure people are going to want to go check you out anyways. So obviously you're gonna people are gonna say to you, How do I make my book a page turner? Is that something you can actually help people with? Is there a formula for that? Yeah, there actually is, you know, because I, I, I kind of lends it to a different question I get often, which is how many words should it be? How long should it be? How, you know, whatever, right? Because we somehow think that a thicker book means something, right? And I actually started out coaching people on writing short reads. Those are books that are read between two and four hours. Um, I don't actively promote that anymore because there's this perception that the thicker my book is the smarter I become. And it's just not true. Well, Hey, if Obama's is 700 pages, yeah, (laughs) we're not even going to approximate that. So, um, you know, books are never too long. They're only too boring and content is never too short. It's only not impactful enough. And so when people say, how long should it be? How do I make it a page turner? All of those things, it should be as long as it needs to be to create the transformation and get your point across. That's how long it needs to be. And in order to make it a page turner, you have to insert yourself. You have to be willing to show the scars, the flaws, the failures, the vulnerability, the rawness, you know, you need to be willing to do that because that's what creates the page turner that creates the, Oh, I need to see what's next. Oh, what else is she going to tell me? You know, there, there are so many books that hey, we don't get past the first two or three chapters, right? So many books. If you want your person, your reader to finish the last page, you need to be interesting. You need to share that story. You need to be a great storyteller because you don't want to put out a textbook. That's really boring. You know, this is not a dissertation. It's not your thesis paper. It's not even anything like English class where we wrote reports and we had these standard, however, you know, five paragraph essays. I don't even know if they do that anymore, but you know, it's not like that at all. We have to kind of chuck out some of those things that we've learned and be more conversational, be less formal. Don't, you know, you want people when they meet you to go, oh, you sound just like your book. You're exactly what I thought you were gonna be. Because right in marketing, a confused buyer doesn't buy. And if you're one person in your book and they meet you and you're somebody different, it's a disconnect. And they're like, now I'm confused. Who are you? Who wrote that? And then they don't trust you anymore because you don't sound like yourself. Yeah. So the most important thing to create that page turning is insert yourself. Be vulnerable. Share the things that, you know, maybe you've never told anybody before. So. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see your authors making that would, well, I'm I'm guessing it doesn't mean the book's going to result in being a flop because you're there to keep them from, but what are some of these biggest mistakes that you see people moving towards? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've talked about a couple of them, you know, like not promoting before you're done writing. Right. Um, So that's a big thing with the flop in the launch. 
right? Um, can can other- you come back from that if somebody hasn't done it and their launch is a flop because like there was no lead yeah, up to it? Can they come back? It, but it's, oh. it's, it's not as, mm, sometimes it's not, it's not as good. Mm. You know, it's just not as good when you come back and do it. That's why some people have said to me, you know what, I'm going to try it on my own or I'm going to do this and that. And then if it doesn't work, I'll come back and see you. I'm like, <laughs> well, that's not a really great plan there. Let me just, you know, but you do you and see. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's one thing, you know, the whole marketing bit. And then there's the the other part of, you know, making sure that the content is something that you're really proud of. Because what I've noticed is if somebody doesn't like their own book, they don't like the interior, they're not confident about it, you can still get that book to bestseller mm-hmm. and they can still be like, oh yeah, I have a book, but they don't want to talk about it. They're not excited. You're not, and the energy you put out is the energy that you're going to get back. So if you're not excited about your book, if you're not like, oh my gosh, everybody needs this. This is the most amazing thing in the world. I mean, this goes with selling courses and programs too, right? You got to be sold out for your courses and programs. You need to be sold out for your book. And so if you're not really excited about the contents of the book, you either need to rewrite, you need to write a different book. Like, you know, that's going to create something that's not going to get you your ROI because um, you're just, now you're just writing a book to write a book just to say you wrote a book. And And if if you're not excited about it, how do you really truly expect anyone else to be excited about it? I know, right? Right? Seriously. So we we just come through, not one of our best years. I think all of us collectively can say that this year, I mean, nothing unique. This year sucked. We're all looking at 20, you know, New Year's Eve and going into 2021 is hopefully being a reset. We got the vaccine coming and we kind of know what we're doing to ride out the end of this. We hope we know what we're doing to ride out the end of this pandemic. What are your goals for 2021? What does Vicky have up her sleeve? Yeah, you know, in terms of business and things like that, you know, my goal is just to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, this year actually wasn't bad for me um, business-wise. I think people got a, a bit pensive about what do I want to leave? How important is this? What are these things that I want to do? And wait, I got time at home now. Let me write my book. So it was actually not, at, you know, in, in the very beginning when we had the lockdown, I talked to some people and they're like, yeah, but, right. But then a few months later, people are like, I need to do this now. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wait, right? We're, we're looking at our own mortality sometimes and we're like, what is what is it that I really want to have left here? Um, so I am just wanting to impact more people next year to get more people into my programs, to help more people get their books out and their stories out and things like that. I know for my husband, he was laid off of his corporate job in March. Um, he had had his corporate job of 20 years. And so things were a lot different for him. He got thrown into a whole different world that he wasn't used to, right? He knew what he was going to every every day he'd wake up at a certain time. He'd do the same things over and over again. He'd go to work. He'd come home. We need to like, let's do it again the next day, you know, and all of a sudden things changed for him mm-hmm. and they were really different. And I watched, um, I watched some of the things that he went through because he has his real estate license and he had gotten that in December, not intending on being a full-time real estate agent in 2020. Um, And then they made it non-essential, but you know, that's a whole nother thing. So he's, he's tried to um, grow a business that he hadn't intended on doing. He also became licensed in insurance and um, stuff like that. So it's been interesting to watch, but one of the great things that he said to me, he's like, you know what, Vicki? I get to be who I want to be now. Corporate had this, you know, Mike needs to, his name's Mike. So Mike needs to show up 
to corporate as a manager this way. They're expecting me to be like this. They're expecting me to produce like this. They're expecting me to meet these milestones like this. I have a certain personality or persona that I convey because I'm a manager or whatever. And I think there's always, for, for most of us, there's like the person in corporate and the person you really wish you could be, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless if it's corporate or not, I think we all have a bit of that. And so it was really great for me to see with him saying, you know what, I get to choose now. I get to reinvent myself. I get to be the person. I get to be the dad. I get to be the, without the stress of all this other chatter going on in the back of my head. You know, I I think he was lucky because a lot of people had that experience, but he actually had already lived with somebody and he'd seen you for years doing it. You were the template. I mean, it was liberating and everything, but a lot of people might not have as easily seen how it flows to be somebody starting your own business and working. So he was, he was, you were a gift. Yeah, thank you for that. He has mentioned that, um, you know, because it's hard to, in that situation, to feel the confidence after being in corporate for so long. Now he owns his own business, right? He's a realtor. He's got to get his own leads. He doesn't clock in and out. He's like, okay, I need to be sitting at my desk from this hour until this hour. I'm like, that's not how it works. Finish your stuff and go do something else, right? And I was always encouraging him to do that. And he's like, yeah, my brain just doesn't work that way. Um, you know, and there were so many times that he felt, you know, doubts of how things were going to work out. I, I watched it kind of go up and down. It's been that kind of year for most people. <laughs> yeah, it has. And you know, there there were times where I thought, you know what, I need to pivot. And I'm like, mm, I don't really think so. I just need to, I just need to make the message a little bit louder about, you know what, your purpose and your calling hasn't changed during this time. We were born into something. That thing has not changed. It just instead has gotten louder. You're calling to write your book. You're calling to leave your legacy. The people that you need to impact that calling is just now coming louder and louder and louder. And it's knocking on your door. It's knocking on your door. And until you fulfill that, you know, there are people out in the world who can't fulfill their purpose, their mission, the thing they need to do in life, because you have not shown up yet to write this book, to share your story, to get them out of whatever struggle that's, it is. That that's they powerful. Are going through. Yeah. You need to show up for them because they are waiting to cross paths with you and they can't finish what they are supposed to do because that's like a meant to be thing. They, so they do your job. Yeah. Do your job, write that book. Quit <laughs> with the excuses. So if, if hopefully people that have been listening to our conversation and or just anyone who was thinking, yeah, I, I'm thinking I want to write a book. How yeah. can they get involved with you? Do you have a, a actually a group that people could check you out on? I do. So on Facebook, I have a group, it's called Write Your Biz Book. So it's B-I-Z, Write Your Biz Book. And we talk all about books and things like that. This is for people who are writing nonfiction books for their business. I do end up with fiction people and poetry people in there every once in a while, but it's really for business owners, coaches, speakers, you know, things like that. So is this a free group? Yes, it is. So people can just come and find you on Facebook and find, what's the name of your group? Write Your Biz Book. Write Your Biz Book. So you just go on Facebook and look at that and they'll find your group and it's a free group. So I'm assuming that, you know, like you're a businesswoman, you don't just do free groups. You also have your programs. I do. What are the programs? So my signature program is called Easy Writer. And that's where we take people complete soup to nuts from picking the right topic, aligning it to your business, 
and then writing all the chapters, my 5S system structure. Um, I have a simple SIMPL <laughs> process of writing the book, launching it to bestseller. So all of the step-by-steps, but then also like the storytelling skills, the how do you layer it? How do you create that experience? We have coaching calls and accountability calls for writing it um, and all of that stuff. So that is my signature program. Um, that's where most people will go. And then I also have other programs for people who just want to write the book, but maybe not want to do the other part or have written the book and then, you know, just want the marketing piece. But easy writer is generally what I'm known for. Okay. So once they get into Facebook and they find your group, they can then check out your program. And the, the result is you teach them how to write their book, yep. how to finish their book, how to yep. get the buzz going and get it published so that it's a bestseller. Yeah, absolutely. All of it. That's amazing. The whole That's amazing. I'm going to drop all the links down below, both in the YouTube channel and on the podcast, so that when you do want to find Vicki, you can easily do that. Yeah. Vicki, thank you so much for being here with me today and sharing so much of your story. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I had a good time. Me too. I think I'm going to join talking. your group. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll be talking to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you Bye. so much for being with Bye. us today. Don't forget to take a look down in the notes to find any of the links to the goodies we talked about in today's podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast or the YouTube channel so you don't miss the next episode. Rate us or review us on iTunes or on YouTube and share us with a friend that you think might just need a bit of inspiration to start doing her own awesome shit. Do you know an incredible gal that's all that that you think the world needs to know more about? Head on over to our Facebook or our Instagram channel and DM me. Tell me about her. We'll see if we can't get her on the She's All That podcast. She's